0: Well, we are in a series on the attributes of God. Those trites, characteristics, descriptions that make up who God is. We began our series last Sunday morning by asking the question is it possible to know God? And we talked about the knowability of God. And we concluded that we cannot know God fully, but we can know Him truly. We are created to be in relationship with Him. And in Christ, we actually can get to know Him more and more. In and of ourselves, we saw in Romans chapter 1 that we push away the revelation that God has given of himself in creation. And so God has given us what theologians refer to as special revelation. He broke through our arrogant, sinful repression of him and revealed Himself in His Son and by His Word. And it is that special revelation that we are trying to delve in and learn more about our God. And God in His immensity... The vastness of Him, it's difficult for us in our finiteness to even grapple at grasping infinite God. But this morning as we tackle the first of the attributes that we will study, His spirituality, we are going to focus on the fact that God is spirit, that He is a spiritual being, that His very essence is spirit. And that's not easy for us to explain, to grasp, to a, around which to wrap our theological arms. Last summer, a year ago, Barbara and I spent eight days on the coast of Maine, which we just loved. My favorite place was Bar Harbor, Maine. I think it was so neat for me because we had never experienced anything like that. My wife's a Kansas girl. I'm an Iowa boy. We've never been around oceans and to see on the refrigerator of our bed and breakfast or at a gas station or at a grocery store a chart that had a uh, timetable for the tides. Like, what is this? How does it, How does this work? And we went down to the harbor and saw in the afternoon that people were driving their vehicles out past the shoreline out onto the ocean floor except it was just this big sandy area and people were out digging for clams and throwing frisbee and laying out and had little fires going there were people everywhere and and then when Barbara and I went back in the evening for our walk it was ocean that same exact area was ocean There, you wouldn't be walking out there How does that happen, and how can they have a schedule for it? uh, I'm sure some of you scientists in here could could explain it to someone, maybe not to me. I just don't understand how that can be. We have a fire pit in our backyard. When my youngest son occasionally comes home from college, he likes to go sit out there and build a fire. Especially after dark and just have a chair and the pond and this fire. You ever th- looked into a fire and, and really tried to think of what is it? What is fire? I mean, you can look it up and see some discussion about combustion and oxygen and energy being released, but I, I don't get that. I mean, really, what is it? It's just, it's hot and it destroys stuff, but what Is it? I mean, it's it's hard to put into words really what fire is or how the tide works. And if we think that is hard, try to describe God. And all that we can do is try to look at how God has revealed himself to us in his special revelation of his word. And we can talk about what he's not, and we can try as best as we can in our finiteness to describe who he is. And that is our attempt today in trying to talk about God being spirit. Now, while it's hard to grasp this, it's vitally important And if nothing else, my hope is that we leave today cognizant of how important it is to understand that God is spirit and that he has given each human being a spirit that is somewhat like his. We're going to begin this morning with... Trying to, as best as we can, describe what it means for God to be spirit. You'll note it in your outline that God is spirit in that his being is essentially different from everything he has created, not consisting of matter not perceptible by bodily senses, not limited by dimensions, and superior to our material existence. Now that's a mouthful. But I don't know how to do it in any other way, and this is inadequate. He's spirit. His being is essentially different from everything He's created, he, he, not consisting of matter, not perceptible by bodily senses, not limited by dimensions, and superior to our material existence. That's what God is. Let's open up by turning to John chapter 4. And in John chapter 4, we find the account that we have looked at before of Jesus sitting at a well with a woman of Samaria. Jesus knows her deepest need. Her deepest need is to be in relationship with Him, to acknowledge that He is the Savior of the world, to acknowledge that He is God, to put her trust in Him. And He's bringing her along to that point, but as He gets close to her heart. And as she starts to grapple with her own sinfulness and acknowledge that the path that she has thought would bring her happiness isn't, she tries to deflect him, to push him away. And she brings up controversy. Isn't it funny that the controversy that she brings up is some of the same controversy that we find in churches today. Well, let's talk about something controversial. Worship. Let's get, let's change subjects. And so she says, well, our fathers say that we are to worship on this mount, but you Israelites, you Jews say that you have to worship in your temple. And what does Jesus does? He cuts right to the heart of that and says, hey, worship is not a matter of externals. Worship is a matter of the heart. And he says this to her in verse 24. God is Spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in Spirit and truth. God's not contained in a building. And by Jesus saying this, He gives us a very succinct, clear statement of God. God is Spirit. And the best way for us to grapple what he says when he, grapple with what he says when he says that we must worship him in spirit and truth is our concept of the heart. We, we worship him from the inner person. From our inner man. From our heart. It's not external. He's not external. He's not limited in a building. He is spirit. Jesus doesn't go on to define that more than what he says here. Now let's go to the Old Testament, clear back to the book of Exodus, chapter 20, the record of the Ten Commandments. And back in Exodus, chapter 20, we find the second commandment in verses 4 through 6. I will read those verses. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness what is in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children on the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. It's very clear. Israel is commanded not to try or attempt to make an image of God and not to worship it. What I want us to notice is why. Look with me at verse 5. You shall not worship them or serve them for... This is why. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Now when we read that, we we immediately tend to gravitate to our idea of jealousy, like a feeling that is self-centered, often with anger or envy. That's not how the term is used here. Maybe a better term would be a zealous God. God is zealous for the own glory of His attributes. His purpose... In creating man was to create those who would be in relationship with him, who would worship him, who would give glory to who he is in all that he is. And for man to somehow try to replicate God by using something material would be to take away from that glory. Any attempt to somehow represent the vastness of God by using a material object or elements that are material immediately falls short. It immediately detracts from God's glory. Thus, That's why God does not want an image made of him to be worshipped. Because there's no way that we could make an adequate image. It immediately detracts from the splendor of his being. We see the same truth in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 23 and 24. Deuteronomy chapter 4 verses 23 and 24. So watch yourselves that you do not forget the covenant of the Lord your God which he made with you and make for yourselves a graven image in the form of anything against which the Lord your God has commanded you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. We are to do nothing that would detract from the splendor of the compilation of His attributes, those characteristics of who God is, and trying to represent Him by utilizing something that's created, something that's material, automatically falls short. We cannot do it justice. You see, God being Spirit is saying that He's essentially different from His creation. God being Spirit says that He's not made up of matter. He's not percepted by bodily senses. He's he's not limited by dimensions. He's superior to our material existence. When I was in high school, I was what would have been referred to during that era in the 70s as a nerd and i really was i'm so thankful i did not know my wife when i was in high school because she would not be my wife today i literally used to wear my texas instruments ti30 calculator in its official case with my belt through the loop <laughs> it was not cool i was in the science club It was not cool to be in the science club in my high school, but I loved it. We used to, during lunch, go down to the chem lab and we took ravioli and put it in in beakers and cooked it over Bunsen burners. That's what we did in the science club. We snuck into the physics lab on the unit where we use ripple tanks and we put potassium permanganate in the ripple tank so that when our physics professor physics teacher came in it was the water was all purple. I mean that's the kind of stuff we did in science club. I lived for our science club field trips. My favorite one was Chicago. I'm an Iowa kid. Get to go to the Big city of Chicago. And even in high school, I had a love for food. You have to realize this is way pre-internet. But I still knew how to do research. I, I probably actually used the library. And, uh, I found out about this pizza place named Geno's East in Chicago. The home of the disc of sausage. I took my entire science club and my teachers on a foot trek to Geno's. It was great! Oh, the pizza. We went to the Museum of Science and Industry. We went to Shed's Aquarium. We went to the Planetarium. And the highlight for me was going to the Sears Tower. Now I'll think it's called the Willis Tower. 108 stories tall. I'm a kid from Council Bluffs, Iowa. The highest point in Council Bluffs is one of the bluffs, and they're not that high and I'm on top of this 108-story building looking down, and I couldn't believe how tiny the people were. Little specks in the corners, just little tiny specks down there. And it just blew me away. I hadn't ever experienced anything like that. Now take that and extrapolate it out, to God enthroned into the heavens, looking down on earth. If I think people look like specks at the top of a 108-story building, what must we look like from the outer regions of the universe? We're not even a speck. And what, was, what must we look like from on an eternal spectrum? We are a blibet. We're not even a blip. How is it possible for a human, less than a blip on the spectrum of eternity, to have any significance at all? It's possible because God is spirit. God is not energy, He is not a force. He is not thought. He is superior in a superior existence to us. He's not like anything created. He's not like steam. He's not like a vapor. All of God is present at any one point in the universe. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read it. But for example, Psalm 139 makes this point. Again, this is God's Choosing to reveal Himself to us. Psalm 139, verse 7 says, Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you're there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me, and your right hand will lay hold of me. God is fully present. Every aspect of God is fully present at every point. God cannot be contained. You cannot contain God in one point. 1 Kings chapter 8 verse 27 explains that. 1 Kings chapter 8 verse 27 says, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this house which I have built. And he's jealous to protect his glory. Now, why is this important? Why is it important for us to recognize that God is spirit? Spirit? The first thing for us, the first reason why it's important for us to recognize that God is spirit, not just a force, or a thought, or some kind of energy, or some higher being, is that God has personhood. That... that. God is the compilation of His attributes and He has chosen to reveal to us in special revelation by His Word who He is. And He's created persons to be in relationship with Him. It's important for us in describing God as Spirit to describe Him as having personhood. He is not just a force. The second important distinction, why it's important to recognize that God is spirit, is that for us to recognize that he is in superior existence over us. Have you ever been in a large room where everyone has prayed at the same time? I mean in a room with two, 3,000 people. It's a phenomenal experience to be in a room where there's two or three thousand people and everyone is praying at the same time out loud. It's mind blowing. How could God hear simultaneous prayers from, it just sounds from all these people and at the same time it sounds like white noise? God can because He's fully present at every point in the universe. He, since his existence is superior to ours, is able to comprehend and act upon the prayer, the simultaneous prayer of every Christian throughout the face of the world and every sinner who comes to him and says to him, I need to put my trust in Jesus. God is spirit. He's not limited by space. And he's not contained by space. He has a superior existence to ours. And because he is spirit and not limited by space, he has the ability to know exactly what you're struggling with in your life. He is able to know exactly the pain that you face. The things that are causing you anxiety, the things that are causing you hurt and me hurt and anxiety and pain. You see, his existence is far superior to ours. He is spirit. He is able. Now the second principle I want us to note this morning is not just the fact that God is spirit, but He has instilled a spirit similar to His in every human being. Every human being. Now, God's spirit is different from our spirits. For example, God is eternal. And we can't get our arms around that. I can remember being a little like first or second grade guy in Sunday school trying to have my Sunday school teacher explain to me the eternality of God. I still can't grasp that. He always has been. He is. He always will be. He is eternal. Our inner person is part of his creative work. So we are different from God. God is fully present at every point of the universe. Our spirits are contained, aren't they? I mean, it'd be kind of cool if I could be here in spirit, but my spirit also be in Bar Harbor, Maine right now. But that's not how God created us. It'd be kind of interesting, wouldn't it? I'd be standing here and say, wow, look at that cool ship. No. No, our spirits are contained. So our spirits are different from God's, but similar. And that is vital. That truth has everything to do with how we view our world, how we view each other, how we view our value as people. And so that's what we want to look at now in our second point that God has given us human spirits similar to his and it's because we have these human we possess these human spirits that we can worship him he is spirit and since i have an internal spirit an inner man i have the ability to actually worship him i have the the ability to commune with him to be in relationship with him and when i die my inner person my spirit will actually go into his presence. Let's begin back here in John 4:24. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth our ability to praise God, our ability to lift him up above ourselves. Rest in the fact that we are not just a fleshly person. We're not just skin and bone. There is an inner person. There's an outer man and an inner man. There is spirit. And it's our inner person that is able to worship God. Because he is spirit, by him giving us a spirit, we are able to worship him. The same truth is found in Philippians chapter 3, verse 3. And in Philippians chapter 3, verse 3, we read, For we are the true circumcision. In the Old Testament, circumcision was an outward sign of an inward reality. It was Israel saying, we believe in your promises. You said that we would be innumerable as the stars of the heaven and the sands of the sea. We know that that's because of you that we have descendants. It was a sign of dependence on God's promises. And so here the Apostle Paul is saying, we Christians are the true circumcision. We are the ones who are depending on this message of the good news of the gospel who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. Here Paul's talking about the fact that we are able to worship by means of the Holy Spirit who indwells us, but we could not have the indwelling Spirit of God and be able to have that relationship between God who is Spirit by means of the Holy Spirit if we did not have an inner person, a Spirit ourselves. In fact, Paul goes on to explain that it's our spirit, our inner person, that allows us to be in communion with God. To be in relationship with Him. Notice 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 17. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 17 says this. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with Him. Now here in this section from verses 12 down to verse 20, the Apostle Paul is talking about uh, purity in physical relationships. And he's drawing a relation, parallel to our relationship with Jesus Christ. In verse 15, he talks about the fact that through faith we are joined to Christ. And so in verse 17, he's talking about the means of that joining is the fact that we have a spirit within us. The one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. In chapter 14, verse 14, we have a section on speaking in tongues. We're not going to unpack that aspect of the verse this morning. But chapter 14, verse 14 says, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. And simply put, I think the Apostle Paul is saying when in speaking in tongues, the the mind is not engaged, it's the spirit within communing with the Spirit of God. Our... Ability to be in fellowship with God is because God, who is spirit, instilled us as humans with a spirit. And one day when we die, our inner person, our spirit, will separate from what Corinthians refers to as this tent, this outer body, and go immediately into the presence of God. Remember, 2 Corinthians says to be absent with from the body is to be present with the Lord. Over in Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 23, the author of Hebrews is talking about the heavenly city, the heavenly Jerusalem, and talking about who's there. And those who have put faith in Jesus, those of us who are in this privileged position of being in Christ, which the author of Hebrews is talking about in Hebrews 12, verses 18 through 24. He's saying, those of us who put our faith positionally, even though we haven't physically gone there, positionally, we are members of that. We have a new citizenship. And so in verses 22 and 23, he's talking about the residence of the heavenly Jerusalem. He's talking about angels and the church and God, and the Son. And notice he lists in verse 23, Spirits of the righteous made perfect. Most Bible teachers would would hold that this would be a reference to the Old Testament saints who relied upon the, the system of animal sacrifices to cover their sin, And when Jesus Christ died on that cross, his payment for sin went forward to cover all the sin in the future, but it went backward and covered the saints. And here, our author of the Hebrews is saying that the spirits of those saints, they have not been joined with their bodies yet, but the spirits of those saints are residents of this heavenly city. Here's the bottom line. God is spirit. And He has given each human a human spirit so that we can be in relationship with Him. This last Monday morning, I went on a duck hunt. Now, the best thing about duck hunting is the worst thing about duck hunting. And that is, to duck hunt, you have to get up early, especially after the time change. We Some hunts will have to get up at 3.30 in the morning to go duck hunting. Monday, we got up at 4.30 because we went close. We went and put in a boat on the Cedar River. And in pitch dark, except there was some good moonlight, we traversed up the Cedar to get to our hunting spot so we can experience the best part of duck hunting being all in position when the sun comes up. It's cool. Well, as we were traversing our way up the Cedar River, we were going 21 miles per hour. We know that because we checked it on the GPS. We started hitting sheets of insects. I don't mean a bug or two. I mean walls of insects. We were completely barraged by insects. So bad that I had to clean my glasses off when, when the sun finally came up. We were just pelted. It was grotesque. I mean, you wanted to be careful. You didn't have your mouth open or you would have had a mouthful of insects. It was just sheet after sheet after sheet of bugs. My wife has some friends who basically worship bugs. They think that bugs are so important they will never step on one. You have to capture the bug and let it be free. Some people, like me, feel like bugs are pretty much on the lowest rung of the, of the ladder. I don't worry about a killed bug. But how do we differentiate Different forms of life. Who's to say that a bug doesn't have more value than a person? Or vice versa? God defines it for us. And the difference between you and a bug is the spirit that God instills into each person. Every person has an inner person, a spirit that's very similar to God as spirit. Now, why is this important? Why is it important for us to be cognizant in our everyday thinking? of the fact that God is spirit, and each of us have a spirit. I've got three reasons, probably many more, but I'm going to focus in on three. Here's reason number one, why it's important to know that we have a spirit within each of us. Every human being has a spirit that's similar to God's spirit. It is the basis for the value of human life. It is the basis for the value of human life. That's why in Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, recorded for us way before the Mosaic Law, we read, Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed, for in the image of God he made man. Man is immensely more value than any other created living thing. This is why many Christians, including myself, would say that Genesis 9-6 is a biblical justification for capital punishment. Because humans have a spirit inside of us that resembles God as spirit for the purpose of us being in relationship with God. It's the basis for our value of human life. It's why most of us as Christians, it's why fake Bible Church, it's why I believe all Christians should be opposed to abortion. Because that little unborn baby has a spirit that that, that infant has been created in God's image to be in relationship with God, and as God is spirit, so also that little unborn human has a spirit which God has instilled into his or her little life. When we come to Romans chapter 1, verse 25, we read what man does in man's sinfulness... When it says, for they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. You see, when people start elevating a bug as having more value than a baby, ultimately it's a rejection of who God is. It's a rejection of the fact that God is spirit, That he's above his creation and he has created every human being with a spirit. Why is it important for us to acknowledge the inner spirit within men and women and boys and girls? Number one, it's the basis for the value of human life. Number two, it's fundamental to a biblical worldview. Man is higher than the animals. If you go to Genesis chapter 1 verse 26, Genesis 2 verses 19 through 20, man was given the responsibility to have dominion over the animals. Man was given responsibility to name the animals, demonstrating man's position of authority over them. It is man having a higher position than an animal. When an animal dies, it goes to the grave. When a human dies, we have an inner person that lives on. That's why humans have infinite value compared to an animal. And when we think about a worldview, a biblical worldview, thinking Christianly, We have to have, as a fundamental plank in that view, the fact that people have immense value over the rest of created life because of the image of God. And as we play that out, it has everything to say with how we walk through this place. Finally, as a sub-point of that, but also a, a point by itself, it impacts how we view people. Recognizing that every human being has a spirit similar to God within them so that we have the potential of being in communion with God through the person of Jesus Christ impacts how we view people. Every human being has immense value. Even if we don't agree with that person, even if we we despise the lifestyle that that person has chosen, regardless of who they are, where they are, what they're doing, they are still a human of immense value and must be treated with dignity. Why? Because they have a spirit that dwells within them because God put it there. And every human being has this potential because He is Spirit and we have a Spirit within us to be in relationship with Him. You see, understanding that God is Spirit helps us understand how he can have an intimate relationship with me, with you. Understanding that God has instilled a spirit in each of us helps us understand the value of humanity. It helps us understand why we need to have a passion for that person in the uttermost part of the earth who still has not heard About Jesus. It helps us understand why I need to care about that person who has a lifestyle different from mine. In that, that person needs to be treated with dignity and grace. God is Spirit and has given us spirits in which we worship Him and have communion with Him. Father, we thank you. For the fact that you have revealed yourself and what you have revealed has significance for how we live. Help us be able to get our minds around your immenseness as much as humanly possible so that we can fathom how you can hear our prayers how you can know what we're going through and how you want us to view the people around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.